I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. (laughs) You can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. The Important Nonsense Podcast. As always, I am Neil Smith, joined as always by Steve Bottom. Hello. 32 teams in 32 days, Steve. Uh, as you're listening to this, it we are recording it on 8-7, so if anything we say in here sounds a little bit dated, that would be why. So check out the, uh, the wrap-up show where we'll update any takes that need to get changed between now and the start of the season. Check us out at importantnonsense.com and importantnonsense.com slash Patreon. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, help us out. Keep the lights on here. But today, Steve, we're going to sit down and again, 12-team PPR as standard, as we always, always mention. We're going to talk about the Indianapolis Colts, which I was really looking forward to this up until the recent, the re- the recent news, uh, because the Colts were a really great success story from last year. I've been enjoying watching them rebuild that team. Uh, they they've make some really interesting choices, and that defense was stacked last season. So everybody's kind of expecting big things. Coming into uh, 2021, given what they were able to accomplish with a very young core uh, last year and with getting nothing out of Phillip Rivers, who was the quarterback in 2020. And then promptly he retired, which uh, we love Phillip Rivers historically on this show. and What a career that man had. But his final season in the NFL was not his best season, let's just say. Yeah. So it leaves the Colts in an awkward predicament, right? Coming into 2021. Our our quarterback we brought in to try and get us, frankly, to a Super Bowl is now retired. We don't really have the ability to draft anybody else. What can we do to fix quarterback? Because they also lost Jacoby Brissett in free agency. So he no longer in town, no longer there to be the backup. He could have probably steered the car for us, but got to do something. And realistically, don't have a good enough draft pick to get anything that's going to that's gonna keep you in playoff contention. So they go out. And they pull the trigger and they bring in Carson Wentz. And depending on how your feelings are on Carson Wentz, some people thought that was the world's greatest move of all time, reuniting him with Frank Reich, the only person to ever get anything out of Carson Wentz, really. And there are other people who hate Carson Wentz and think he's terrible and was done and that that was a catastrophically stupid decision by the Colts. However, it is the one that they made. So that is that is what it was. We're going to bring him back. We're going to bring him over, reunite him with Frank Reich, and see if we can if he can fix it. If anybody can fix it, Frank can. And if Frank can't, Carson's career is probably done. Flash forward to training camp 2021. Carson Wentz has a broken bone in his foot, mm-hmm. opts to have surgery, and will now be missing 5 to 12 weeks. I know they are very optimistic it will only be 5, but... The solution that they had to their problem of who's going to be our quarterback has now hit a pretty significant speed bump. So I guess let's just talk about this here very quickly, Steve, as as related to Carson Wentz. You and I historically are not super high on on Carson Wentz for fantasy football purposes, but given the, the change of scenery and some familiar faces on the coaching staff, I was prepared to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and feel a little bit better about it potentially. And before the foot injury. And now I don't even think he's barely draftable, right? How do you feel about the idea that he's going to be able to get back by week six, which is realistically the best possible timetable? Well, I think that 
it's a very interesting turn of events because Carson Wentz, when he was having that MVP season um, or MVP caliber season before he got hurt, um, he was able to pass the ball really well and was also very mobile. And that's a big part of his game. And I was very concerned about this news first coming out and them saying that, oh, he's just going to rest it and try to rehab it and play through it because he's got something to prove. And good on the Colts for, you know, doing this the right way, for making him get that surgery and telling him, no, we're going to heal this and get this right. Because apparently what the x-rays and everything showed was that this is an injury coming from, they're saying it could be as far back as high school where he broke his foot and didn't realize it and it just didn't heal properly. And that's why he's been dealing with chronic foot issues his entire career. Now how the Eagles never picked up on that. Well, we can talk, we can talk about the Eagles medical (laughs) staff and the history around that if you want, but I think really that story that you just told, yeah, really sums it up so we probably don't need to dwell on it but but there it is so now he's with the colts they figure out this is what's been wrong with him for so long and in theory he's had the surgery his foot should be fine now apparently the surgery went very well from all the reports that are public and when he does come back he should be at 100 percent for the first time basically ever which for me has me excited about the prospect of what he's going to be able to do in the second half of the season. And he is somebody I'm going to be actively targeting on waivers around week four and five. But what I believe is what I was telling you offline, that this all comes down to financial stuff with them in that, look, realistically, they can make the playoffs. Their defense is good enough to get them to the playoffs. Carson Wentz is the piece that they thought was going to put them over the top. They have Jacob Eason, who they drafted in the fourth round last season. Mark. Well, it's important that we point that out with Jacob Eason because it's it's absolutely that as we sit here on eight seven, that is the plan right now. As you mentioned, right. they just drafted him in the fourth round, so he's a cheap option for them, and they he's getting pressed into service a little bit earlier than I think they had hoped. But it's a kind of a limited engagement, yeah. as we're talking about. But even then, they brought in. Um, why are oh, the name is escaping me? Brett Hundley, former oh, yes. Arizona yes, Cardinal to be their quote unquote, like veteran backup to Jacob Eason for the first start of the season. I there's, they can't put Wentz on IR. He's not going to be out long enough to be on pup. They're not going to get any kind of financial relief. So I really find it hard to believe they'll bring in any kind of veteran to play for just four or five games. Um, I think they're going to stick with Eason for the beginning of the year. And then you mentioned the trade with Philadelphia. They traded them the pick this season, but they also traded a conditional pick next year. And that conditional pick was a second round pick. And if he were to play 75% of the snaps or 70% of the snaps and they make the playoffs, then they would have to bump that up to a first round pick. So my running theory here is that he will be out the first five games of the season. You're not rushing him back. 
the time frame would be he could come back as late as week eight. I'm saying he comes back week six against Houston. It's an easy opponent to work him back into the offense and get him going. And at that point, even if he played every snap of every game the rest of the way, he would only hit at most 70 snaps or 70% of the snaps. So if he, if they don't make the playoffs, then they just get, or they just send a second round pick. If they do make the playoffs, then that's what you wanted all along. And you're fine sending the first round pick because it was worth it to have a franchise quarterback. Exactly. So to all the people who are out there who are talking about, oh, Nick Foles, third on the Bears. They don't need Nick Foles anymore. It doesn't make a lot of financial sense for the Colts to bring in Nick Foles to play four games effectively, maybe five. It's not really, especially at the cap hit number that Nick Foles actually is. And the Colts, they still have some cap room, but them as an organization, they tend to value that. They like having cap room. They don't want to blow it all on ancillary pieces. So they're likely going to go ahead and probably hold off on, on bringing in like a Nick Foles or anything like that. Yeah. If anything was to happen to Eason, then we'll have a different conversation about that. Obviously that might, or, or if something doesn't go well with the Carson Wentz rehab or he starts having problems or something with the foot, yeah. then, then we'll talk about that as well. But I, as of right now on eight, seven, I'm inclined to, be, I'm inclined to agree with you with what you just said. Because I also think that that's the Colts are pretty much telling you that pretty loudly. They're saying Eason's going to be starting all the preseason games at this right. point, and I think that that's just them just flatly telling you at this point. Not real happy about having to put this kid out here so early in his career, but we drafted him because we think he can play. So here you go, Jacob. Welcome well, to the NFL. That's the critical thing to remember too: is he was a fourth round pick last season. Right. So what that means is he's had no live reps. There was no preseason last year. Yep. And he was behind both Jacoby Brissett and Philip Rivers on the depth chart. So he wasn't even getting a lot of practice reps last season. So he's had no chance to get his feet wet in this offense. So I hope he knows trying... the playbook. He should know the playbook. Yeah. They're, so got they're just, going for if you. he didn't know the playbook, I would have to believe that they would be looking at another veteran. Well, he, they'd also be probably talking about cutting him because he was there right. all year. Right. And then now this se- off season, he's gone through yes. it again. So he should know the playbook. So I would believe that he, uh, he knows what he's doing, but they just want to get him as much rep, as many reps and as much work as they possibly can to get him ready to go for the regular season. But I think this is his job right now to lose. And again, this is it's going to be very weird because we're going to talk about this, the the skill position guys now. And even with Wentz, we had no idea what to do. And now that it's Eason for a couple of games, I think that just throws cold water on everything, no matter what your favorite flavor was here. Yep. It And I've, we've got a couple interesting nuggets that we'll get into, but let's let's. What we've been doing is talking about what matters, Steve. Mm-hmm. And I think we, 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 we would say this, just to kind of close this off. Carson Wentz, I don't think, is really draftable at this point, given that he's going to miss that no, much no, no. time. You've yeah. made it clear that you feel that you're going to try and pick him up in you know later rounds of, what was it, week four or five or six yeah, or something like waivers. that. Yep. Yeah, and I agree with that as a as a sentiment. He's not really draftable at this point anymore. He's just not yeah. going to start enough games. And if somebody wants to take him and hold him for that long, fine with me. 
I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. Jacob Eason also is not draftable. We right. have no idea what that is. And, and it's only four games. And it's only four games. So there's no reason to roster Eason. None of that is rosterable anymore. Colts quarterback doesn't matter. It's one less quarterback on the board for you, unfortunately, until Carson Wentz eventually gets back. So from there, you would think that that would you would think that that would matter more for what we're going to dovetail into, which is what matters. But really, I don't know that it does because what we're going to talk about now is Jonathan Taylor, and mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor really is the top is the 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 top dog at this point, right? For the Colts, it's the most yeah. valuable thing. On, on the Colts. We've got him in our projections as RB 11. I have very little pushback on any of that, right? You, you really, yeah. I'm not worried about Jonathan Taylor. You and I both are high on Jonathan Taylor. Historically, I actually do have him at 11 in my rankings. So I'm still completely fine spending out on Jonathan Taylor early. And I think you'll be paid off for that. They're probably going to try to run the ball more, or at least I think they would have attempted to do that. But in addition to people, other people being hurt, Quentin Nelson has now gone down with effectively the exact same injury as Carson Wentz, unfortunately. Right. And he is now also going to be out until probably week five, possibly a little bit later, because they're not going to rush Quentin Nelson back yep. because he's your franchise. He's the best lineman you have. And he's so good. In fact, it's like not losing one lineman. It's like losing two linemen. Yeah. He does the work of two people consistently throughout his career. So losing that, that is what I'm more concerned about as it relates to anything, frankly, is Quentin yeah. Nelson going down because now you're missing a key piece of your offensive line. That hurts Jonathan Taylor. That hurts Eason. That hurts just everything. It's, it's, it's a, in my eyes, it's even a, it's all, it's an equivocally big blow as losing yeah. Carson Wentz himself. It's, it amounts to the same thing. So given that information, Steve, do you want to lower Jonathan Taylor in your rankings? I know you, you, you usually, favor him a little bit so it's actually interesting you say that so jonathan taylor first of all it's it's weird because we have taylor again projected at 11 i have him at nine you have him at 11 Mm -hmm. the ecr has him at nine i've seen some people have jonathan taylor as high as five or six like people love jonathan taylor like generally the people, most people must not like Zeke very much. Well, generally speaking, again, like you said, we were higher on Taylor last year. We were of the the herd of people that were all on Taylor and not on CEH, which paid off. But now this year, again, still feel like Taylor is a good back-end RB1, but I can't anoint him into that top five, top six tier yet. And there are people that will pay that price. So if you want Jonathan Taylor, you're really going to have to reach for him early. And I just don't see that happening. Um, We also have, like you said, the injury with Quentin Nelson. And you have to remember, we're talking about PPR here, where you've got Naheem Hines is still the pass catching back. He had a solid role last year. I believe that role stays generally the same this year. And unlike last season, you now have Marlon Mack returning. He had the Achilles injury last year. He missed the entire season after week one. So now Marlon Mack returns. What does that mean? Like he was a free agent. He could have just left and gone somewhere else. And he re-signed on a one-year deal to be the backup running back to Jonathan Taylor. We all know it's Jonathan Taylor's job and his show, but how much work are they actually going to give Marlon Mack? We don't know. And at this point, 
like I said, it's going to be very interesting to see because in the ECR, he's already number nine in ADP. Jonathan Taylor right now is RB seven. Yeah. And that's, that's why I wanted to start with Jonathan Taylor first, because the receivers are nice and the quarterbacks are what they mm-hmm. are, but it's, this is the, this is the thing people are splashing out and really investing yeah. a lot of their like equity into. Right? right. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm right there with you. It's too high. There's too many, there's too much uncertainty. Right. You like, now have the Quentin like, Nelson news. You've got a bad quarterback. Now yeah. you've got, you've got all the problems and now, and it's a three headed monster. Not that Naheem Hines is a threat to any of the between the tackles work in a real way, but he is your pass catching receiver, as you pointed out. He, yeah, mm-hmm. that is firmly his job. He yeah. is a head and shoulders better pass catcher than John, Jonathan Taylor or Marlon Mack. Neither yeah. of them can hold a candle to Naheem Hines' pass catching skills. Yes. And again, like that's well, we could talk about it too. What we just talked about in our last show was Houston and David Johnson. And with David Johnson, he's getting the goal line work just like Taylor is. Taylor's obviously younger. He's got, you know, more tread left on the tires, if you will. But David Johnson is the pass catching back. At this point, they both have bad QB situations and bad offensive lines. But the difference is Taylor is going to have more volume. And he just doesn't have that pass catching work. So he's going to have to put up huge rushing numbers. And it's entirely possible but like I've got him in the same tier as Zeke, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris. And at this point, you just read my rankings. So yeah, at this point I have all of those guys basically as three down backs Mm -hmm. who have the ability to pass catch and run. Austin Eckler goes in front of him because of the pass catching. Exactly. If this was half PPR, I'd be all about Jonathan but to take him in PPR as a top five, six, seven back, I just can't justify it, which is why he's on the back end of that tier for me. Jonathan Taylor, for me, goes right next to Nick Chubb because they're functions of the yeah. same problem. Mm-hmm. If either one of them had their own full job and were a true three down back, they would be higher, but they're not. Yeah. And Nick Chubb doesn't catch that many. He does catch passes. We all acknowledge Jonathan Taylor will catch some passes too, but he's not the pass catching back. That's Kareem Hunt in Cleveland. It's the same thing here. It's Naheem Hines. And Marlon Mack is what's unfortunate for Jonathan Taylor is Marlon Mack will also be getting work back in. So I think mostly Marlon Mack is an insurance policy against Jonathan Taylor getting beat up again, which did happen last year. We all saw that he slowed down a little bit uh, in the middle of the season there when he was dealing with an injury, which is to be expected. So I think they wanted Marlon Mack still around because to do that job effectively, if Jonathan Taylor needs a breather or God forbid has to miss a game or two. Right. I think that's kind of Marlon Mack's thing, but we don't know that. So it's, 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 I, I get uncomfortable putting him any higher than 11, even though I would say if you're talking about pure skill set and, you know, just talent, well, then yeah, he'd be a higher than a couple of the guys that are on the list that I have. But it's not that. It's, it's, it's a function of his job. And then you layer onto that the nuance of Quentin Nelson going down. And now their quarterback situation is going to be up in the air for the first five weeks, six weeks of the season, roughly. Right. I'm sure they're going to try to establish the run in those games. But, it remains to be seen how successful they were. So he'll get opportunities, but I don't know yeah. if it'll. And even then, like I, that's what I was saying to the, to the workload, like with David Johnson, he's going to get that pass catching work and they're going to be chasing points. It's the opposite here where the Colts with their defense, theoretically should be winning a lot of games, which would translate to Jonathan Taylor, getting a chance to run the ball more. 
And again, if you've got that great defense and you've got a back like Jonathan Taylor, are you really going to put your game in the hands of Jacob Eason? Probably not. He's probably going to get more opportunities than he normally would have because of Eason being under center. So I feel like this does bump him up a little bit, but even then I'd, I'd much rather if I'd take him as the 10th back off the board, I have him ranked as my ninth at this point. I'm leaning slightly more towards Najee Harris. I think he's got that, that upside because of the pass catching. Well, I but, just don't think Najee Harris is competing with anybody either. Cause who's yeah, he competing against? Exactly. Like, nobody, the caliber Jonathan Taylor has to deal with. Exactly. So I think, at this point, it's close for me, but compared to where his ADP is, I just won't have any shares, and I'm, I'm all right with that. I'm right there with you. So, unfortunately, that's going to have to be the advice for the for the Colts running back room here. I'm not really interested in rostering Jonathan Taylor at the price point that he's currently going in ADP, and I don't think anybody else should be. I think you're overpaying. So, let's talk about the rest of the running backs, though. Marlon Mack, I don't think is draftable, right? Let's just get that right. out of the way. Yep. He's just a backup. He's a name you should know. If something was to happen to Jonathan Taylor, he would be waiver. You'd spend a lot of money on the waiver wire to get him. So I don't even know if I would want to hold him as a handcuff, though. It would depend on how the rest of your team worked, how important Mm -hmm. that was to you. You would need to actually, I'd need to see your finished team to really. And I don't even know if that's necessarily true because I kind of feel like it would be a 50 50 split with him and Hines, like we've seen with them in the past. Yes. Marlon Mack has never been the guy. He's never been a guy that's gotten three down work or even a a carved out role in the first and second down option. Like remember the year before they got Jonathan Taylor, the reason they were willing to get Jonathan Taylor is because it was Hines, Mack and Wilkins who were splitting as a three headed monster for a while there. That's true. That is very true. They still had Jordan Wilkins and they still do. Jordan mm-hmm. Wilkins is actually still on that team. It just mm-hmm. doesn't really matter for fantasy purposes. <laughs> so right. uh, he's still there, though. But realistically speaking, none of that's rosterable. What is rosterable beyond uh, Jonathan Taylor is Naheem Hines. Yeah. So our show will has talk, talks about Naheem Hines every year. He gets disrespected frequently in, uh, in the run-up to fantasy seasons. And here's the thing. In the past, it's not always been super consistent, and I don't know that that's necessarily going to change here. They're not changing offenses, right? But Naheem Hines is such a talented player with so much upside that at any given moment, he can do something spectacular and put up a huge number for you in any given week. That's the problem with him, though, is that it's not always consistent. You're going to take some twos along the way, and you kind of got to be you kind of got to be prepared for kind of a roller coaster with Naheem Hines. He's looking great in camp, though, according to all the reports. So. They're also talking about possibly working him a little bit more down the field for some passing routes and things like that, which you love to hear, but you don't know if it'll translate into anything. From from my rankings, he's running back 37 for all of those reasons, right? He's rosterable, and I would argue that you should be happy to roster him, but he's really just like a flex running back, effectively. Yep. He's, not, he's not an RB2. He's not even really an RB3 properly. He kind of is. But it's not something that you're gonna. I would want to count on on a week-in, week-out basis. So worth rostering. And there'll be weeks where you're going to play him more than likely. And that pass catching will bail you out more than likely. And at one point in his career, I don't know if he'll, they'll have him do it again this year. They're still working it out, but he also runs punts. So in the past, they've had him do that for them. And he was actually really good at it uh, at one point. And I can remember a game where he actually had two punt return touchdowns. So pretty hard to do in the NFL. The guy's a freak athlete, but not something I would want to overpay for. And I don't really see his role increasing or changing. Do you, Steve? I think it's literally just from 2020. It's the same job. Yeah. And back. for me, I'm a little bit lower because there's just not as much 
upside. The, the ceiling just isn't there. But again, if you're looking for a reliable guy, a good depth flex that you're looking for bi-week fill-ins, in PPR, he's absolutely someone to go after. Uh, right now, 38 in the ECR, but 44 in ADP. So yeah, people have been people have have have, have put up with it in the past, right? So yeah. I still I still think it's fine, but not really something to that you're going to try and build your team around. Yeah. So from there, we really just want to talk about what you know the wide receiver room is going to look like, right? Because you've got an interesting kind of cadre of of people. T.Y. Hilton resigned, came back. And signed a one-year deal. A lot, a lot of people seem to think that this is the last year of Ty. In fact, a lot of people thought that he was going to hang it up after last season. So we'll see. He apparently is healthy, which is good, unlike last year. So that's that's a bonus. He's 31, and we'll just have to see what he has left in the tank, right? I mean, it, yeah. I, I was actually relatively happy about Ty coming back when it was Wentz who was going to throw him the ball, but apparently he doesn't have the same connection with Eason because why would he? Because he would never play with Jacob Eason under any, like, in the time that Eason was there, he probably never threw a pass to T.Y. Hilton up until probably like a week or two ago, right? What yeah. would be the point? He's not running with the same crews of people. So there's not really much of a chemistry there right now. Apparently, there is some chemistry with the next guy on the roster, though, which is Michael Pittman, who people will remember was drafted by the Colts last year, very highly touted prospect, got hurt last season, didn't quite live up to expectations. But he is back as well, healthy, and has been lighting up training camp. He was lighting up training camp when Carson Wentz was there. He has been lighting up, uh, reportedly, he's been lighting up training camp, uh, even with Eason. And apparently, Eason prefers to throw to Pittman. And that would make a certain amount of sense to me, because they probably did get some work together uh, last season at various points and came in around the same time. So that would be logical to me. They also still have Paris Campbell, who I believe this is year three of Paris Campbell. I have that right? Question mark? Yeah, uh, I believe that is correct. Yeah, Paris Campbell out of Ohio I'll State. Yeah, Paris Campbell. I remember being from out of out of Ohio State, and mm. he's a very highly touted prospect, but basically has been injured for most of the last two years. Uh, yes, you are correct. Year three. Yeah, he's been injured for most of the last two years. So there's still some people who are pretty pretty interested in some Paris Campbell, but not so much for me personally. They also still have Zach Pascal, waiver wire darling. Zach Pascal, two years running. That that guy comes in off the waiver wire every year. We write about him all the time. They also picked up J.J. Nelson, formerly from Arizona. And they have DeMichael Harris, who I believe they might have drafted, but it doesn't matter. None of that matters. The only thing that actually matters on this team for me, Steve, as far as drafting and prepping for drafting, is T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, and Michael Pittman. And what I want to talk to you about is how do you want to order those for folks? What would you, what would be your recommendations for how should they evaluate the big three with, uh, with the Colts? So uh, Hilton is the Z Pittman is your X. So those are your outside receivers. And then Paris Campbell is playing out of the slot and those are locked and loaded. We already know those are going to be their positions. We already know that's where they're going to go. You kind of talked about it. This is year three of Paris Campbell. There's uh, there's a definite group out there that believes for sure Paris Campbell is the number one on this team. I'm one of those I'll believe it when I see it uh, type people because right now, again, two years ago, he was active for seven games, but he only had three official starts. And in that third game, he got hurt, missed the rest of the year. Last year, he played two games. Second game, he got hurt, missed the rest of the year. 
So again, injury prone isn't a real thing. It doesn't exist, but it's year three and he's played a combined five games. Um, so for me, I, I find it hard to believe that he can actually withstand a full season and take on a larger workload and be consistent and reliable, but we'll see. As for Michael Pittman, you know my belief. Michael Pittman is a guy that he's a talented receiver that doesn't get a lot of credit. He was a guy I took in the first round of rookie drafts last year, which did not pan out. But <laughs> but it's he, dynasty. But, but it's, it's dynasty. Let's be fair. It's dynasty. So you get the career. We'll yes, see. Exactly. We'll see. Still early. Still early. Still still early. Still early. Got a lot yeah. of got a, got a lot of football left here. Exactly. There's still a lot of tread left on uh, that. This tire. is like we're, we're like only through the first quarter. It's fine. It's exactly. Fine. Uh, no, I mean, look. Michael Pittman Jr., good player. Uh, Last year, he had eight official games started, but he played 13 games. He missed three games due to injury. He's only 24 years old. He had 61 targets last season. I think he's going to be the heir apparent here to T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton is the guy that's been the number one, but this is reminding me of a A.J. Green situation from last year with Cincinnati. He's just back for one last ride with the team before he goes off into the sunset and retires in Arizona like A.J. Green is. (laughs) Uh, But I I think T.Y. Hilton is still going to get his. I think he's still going to be a productive receiver this year, mainly in bi-week fill-ins. But I think Michael Pittman, no matter who the quarterback is, is most likely to emerge as the wide receiver one. I just don't know what that means in terms of value and fantasy because, again, You're going to have to deal with four weeks of Eason. You're then he's going to have to find a connection with Wentz. Once that gets in realistically, by the time they get clicking on the same page, you could be looking at week 10 approaching the fantasy playoffs. Right. And this is something that you're not going to want until much later in the year. I would argue that realistically, none of the three of them are draftable. Right. Realistically speaking, you're not going to be in a position where you're going to want to draft T.Y. Hilton because it's too scary now with Eason. Had Mm -hmm. we been going through this, apparently all the camp reports were that Carson Wentz and T.Y. Hilton, when they were on the field together, were clicking. They were getting it worked out, and it would make a certain amount of sense to me. T.Y. Hilton's a professional wide receiver. He's been an alpha for a very long time, even at his kind of, I want to say, it's funny to say advanced age about somebody younger than you. Yeah. Um, but it's it is it is kind of what I mean. He's 31 in NFL years. He's been around. So he was he was working it out with Carson Wentz before the Wentz injury kind of sidelined that whole thing. Before that, I was actually willing to kind of say, T.Y. Hilton back into your draft. Like, like, okay, like that that's fine. Like a veteran presence. He, if he's got anything left in the tank, great. Uh, if not, cut him. You don't really worry about it, right? It's fine. But now with four weeks of Eason and the, the lack of chemistry there and the lack of certainty around how Eason will even play, apparently T.Y. Hilton is healthy, so you got that going for you. But I'm a little nervous about as far as like actually being willing to draft it. There's mm-hmm. other wide receivers at the end of your draft that I think are younger and on better situations and just a better a better kind of lottery ticket than what T.Y. Hilton will give you. Yeah, I have zero interest in Paris Campbell. There's no reason to draft that. If he starts panning out, I'll be happy to go bid on it on the waiver wire at some point. So I think the real conversation is around Michael Pittman. Would you draft Michael Pittman in a 12-team redraft? I'm going to lean towards no, but I would argue that he's the one that I would have the closest eye on as far as like the waiver wire. I would say say yes at this point. Um, 
you're not gonna have to invest much. So there, yeah. there's that. Pit, right now in the ECR, uh, Pittman is 49, uh, T.Y. Hilton 54, and Paris Campbell 67. And in ADP, Michael Pittman is 44, so slightly higher than ECR. Uh, T.Y. at 56, right in line, basically, with his ECR ranking, and then Campbell at 75. So people are slightly down on Campbell, slightly As high on Pittman. But even then, that's a 10th round pick right? on Michael Pittman. And again, at that point in the draft, you're taking dart throws. You've already established your full starting lineup. 10th round, realistically, you're talking about Michael Pittman being my, let's call it sixth wide receiver, fifth wide receiver, sixth wide receiver, and a guy that I think has the best chance to emerge as their wide receiver one on that roster. I feel like that's a decent enough investment. Well, yeah, because you you got him in the where I have him in the rankings. I have Pittman at forty eight. I have T Y Hilton at fifty two. And some of this is going to get adjusted, but once we get a better sense of how long that injury is actually going to be, yeah, because uh, I haven't done it yet because they just gave us the preliminary reports last week. So yeah. I'm give it like a week here and see mm -hmm. what's going on, but. Where I'm at with it currently, yeah, 48, 52, and then Paris Campbell way down here. <laughs> like, like you got to scroll down to get down to where I have Paris Campbell down here at like 70. So mm. I'm really not interested in Paris Campbell. But as a general thing, yeah, if you're talking about a 10th round pick or something like that, then yes, you could, you could, I could make the justification on either on either T.Y. or Michael Pittman, technically. It's just I find myself not coming away with either guy in any mocks that I've been doing recently. Because going in that same neighborhood, you've got guys like Cole Beasley and Antonio Brown for me. And I, I find myself kind of going in that direction and just steering away from the whole Colts mess, to be perfectly honest with you, like when I'm actually in the room. Because there's guys yeah. you can readily get that will give you... You're not going to get the upside, though, from a Cole Beasley that you would from a Michael Pittman. So if you're looking for upside at that point in the draft, I will cede that point to you uh, handily. Michael Pittman does present a higher level of upside than some of the other guys in this neighborhood, Michael Gallup even. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I've got, I've got Pittman in the mid forties. I've got him basically close to where his current ADP is. So I'm not saying reach on him, but I feel like in the 10th round, I'm okay with that. And then I have both Hilton and Campbell in the mid sixties. Because again, I think I think T.Y. Hilton is a guy that has a limited ceiling, but I think he's got a pretty solid floor that can provide you decent bye week coverage if that's what you're looking for. And then Paris Campbell has a massive floor, which we understand, but he's a slot receiver. And we've seen over the course of Carson Wentz's career the ability to throw over the middle to typically his tight ends. The tight ends on this roster aren't much to speak of. I think the slot receiver in Paris Campbell has the best ability to take over that type of role, the check down for Carson Wentz. So I think if anything, that's his biggest upside is just becoming a target monster over the middle. And your worst case scenario is you just cut him. Yeah, if you don't right. But, but right. again, it's another guy where with his current ADP, he's basically going undrafted. You can get him off waivers if you want him. Like you said, I'd be more willing to spend fab than a draft pick. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to take some late round flyers on Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton, feel free. But just know what you're getting into. Limited mm -hmm. ceiling on T.Y., a lot of ceiling on Michael Pittman. 
kind of an unknown floor though. Yeah. <laughs> so could but, be a wide receiver one for a team. Yeah. Could could get hurt after four games and guys and like T.Y. Hilton, here. I would not even anybody that you're talking about with a high floor, I'm really not interested in because I'm more concerned about their ceiling. Can well, because yeah, it's the beginning can you of the breakout. Yeah. Because can, if, can, if I need to get T.Y. Hilton to your point yeah. later on in the year, I can spend ten, fifteen dollars of fab budget more than likely and get him on my roster a week or two before I need him to cover the bye week, and then we're we're done. Yeah. Fine. Not a big deal. Yeah, and that's, again, that's, if you were to take these three players and ask me, who do I think, in PPR scoring, who is the most likely to hit 125 PPR points? Like, if I set a floor of who's the most likely to hit 125, I'd say it's T.Y. Hilton. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'd be the most confident that he's going to be the one that can stay healthy, be consistent enough to give me 125 points. Who's the most likely to hit 200 and blow up? I'm going to say it's Michael Pittman. And that's why I'd rather have Pittman than any of the others. No, that makes a ton of sense. And you also mentioned it too. So realistically, as far as pass catchers go, it's those three guys. Don't overpay for any of it. Yeah. And if you're looking for a, a guy with a nice possible ceiling, Michael Pittman, you're going to have to suffer through the first couple of weeks of Eason potentially, but you know what you're yeah. getting into. Uh, beyond that, there's no other pass catcher at all that I'm interested in. And that yeah. includes the tight ends, as you referenced, because we've talked a lot on this show over the years about Jack Doyle. And uh, I'm, I'm so sorry, Jack, but we're, we're not covering that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Jack Doyle is not a thing. Any, not a thing anymore. Don't, don't take Jack Doyle. And then, uh, Mo Ali Cox, also not a thing. And uh, you can fight me, internet, on that because I'm not, I refuse. Like, Mo, I got Mo Ali Cox at like 32 and Jack Doyle at like 34 in the tight end rankings. You don't want either. Maybe as like a bye week fill in or something, but realistically, it's not something you're going to count on. And they had Trey Burton in the past, but Trey Burton's not even on the team anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's realistically nothing as far as other pass catchers on that squad. It's just those three wide receivers. And then, frankly, I think you're going to see a lot of Naheem Hines catching footballs. Yep. That's that's really it as far as the pass catchers. Uh, so just to round it out, there's not too much else to cover other than the defense. The defense will be good, and it will be useful for fantasy purposes. Our site has them as number six defense, and I think that's probably broadly correct. And I know you, uh, you like you, the Colts defense, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So realistically, yeah, but it's a defense. Don't overpay for it. I right. wouldn't go too much further than like yeah. defense six and their ADP is uh defense eight right now. But again, it's, it, it really just depends on where you are. Like, okay, I have the number six pick, so I'm taking the sixth defense in the 15th round. Perfect. If they're there, great. I'm fine with that. But otherwise, I, again, I'm not overpaying in a higher round to grab a defense. It just, it's bad form just doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I will say, we always say kicker is kicker and that's absolutely true, but well, I was going to talk about old Rex specs here. Yeah. Rodrigo Blankenship, who again, he had a pretty decent season last year. Um, he's not terrible. Kickers are fairly inconsistent. I think the biggest thing for him here is again, you're talking about Eason. So you're talking about for at least those first five weeks, typically I'm looking to stream kickers anyway. They play in a dome. He's a fairly accurate and consistent kicker. And because of the younger 
quarterback, they're more than likely going to be desperate for points and struggling to get into the end zone. So you could just be seeing an increase in opportunities in the first half of the year for Blankenship. So if you want to overthink kickers, there you go. Rodrigo <laughs> Blankenship. Uh, and as I did mention, he has the Rex specs, which is always yep. a crowd pleaser. You got to love it. You got to love the old Rex specs. You don't see it too much anymore. Most people just wear contacts or get the corrective surgery. He's going the other way. I like it. It's retro. But realistically, that rounds out the Colts and uh, should be a good team overall, right? It's just weathering those first four or five weeks kind of throws some cold water over getting excited about really spending any advanced capital on anything that isn't Jonathan Taylor. Everything else is is interesting and will have value, but not enough that to really want to like splash out on it. But unfortunately, Steve, for the listening audience tomorrow. They have to, I mean, I have to endure, I mean, enjoy the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars show, <laughs> which I mean, that's going to be a good one. I'm always looking forward to the, the Jags show. I mean, they've got, look, they've got decent pieces and we'll go through them all. And any chance we can get to talk about Minshew mania, I'm all about it. So. All right. Well, fair enough. Hopefully he doesn't get traded, uh, <laughs> here in the next couple minutes and have to kick that can down the road. So, yeah, but Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always, and we will be back tomorrow for the Jacksonville Jackpot. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!